This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. We're a live radio show and a podcast, and we talk about politics, social issues, cultural issues, everything that's going on in our world, but from our perspective. I'm super happy to be here at Envision Fest. How are you guys feeling? Good, good, good. So my name is Selena Hill. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. And please do follow. I will follow back. I have my co-host here, Stanley Engineer, aka Turn Up King. No, I'm mad. I got a whole DJ system over here. I've been DJing since Friday. And by and by since Friday, what I mean is that I got to play with it Thursday. I'm not too busy to play with it. But I get the music. I got gunshots. Look at this. That's lit? That's lit? No, okay, cool. So you can follow me on Twitter at StanBridge. You can follow me on IG at StanBridge. You can follow me on Snapchat at DarkSkinSwindle. But I only go on there to follow people that don't go on IG, so I follow nobody not on there. All right. Um, and first live podcast show. We are super, super excited to be here. We've been doing this show for six, seven years. We actually have a former co-host in the audience, Claudia, in the back. Thank you for coming out, sis, and supporting. So I just want to give you guys some information, some background on the show. And now introduce Tiffany, a.k.a. Tip L. Fizzle. <laughs> yes, that's my rapper name. So I'm Tiffany, also known as Tiff Lizby. You can follow me on Instagram at TiffLizB, T-I-F-F-L-I-Z-B. And you know, I'm really excited for the show. I'm really excited to be here at Vision Fest and talk about women in politics, especially black women in politics. And shout out to my sister and my friends for coming. Yay! <laughs> I'm gonna tell y'all gave yourself a round of applause. So we have a great, great show lined up. We're gonna be talking about everything like Tiffany just said women of color and politics, how we can walk into our purpose and into our power and what needs to be done so that legislation and policy is looks like it is affecting and helping and benefiting us, right? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to talk about Kamala. I don't know who stayed up to watch the debates like I did. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about white women going to jail for cheating to get their um, child, to get their children into college. So we're going to talk about that as well. We have a lot, a lot to talk about. Tiffany, what are you looking forward to the most? The most I'm looking forward to, to talking about is uh, definitely uh, Felicity Huffman. Yeah, so she was only sentenced to like 14 days, so she's probably going to be like, oh, sorry, stay tuned. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Felicity Huffman and also really dive into Kamala Harris. I feel like she gets some unnecessary pushback. So I'm really excited to talk about Kamala Harris. How come Kamala arrest white people? What? How come Kamala don't arrest white people? Here we go. The prosecutor? Yeah, she just went like all the black kids. <laughs> no, kids went to jail. <laughs> they did not go to jail. She just threatened them. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. So we're gonna talk about that. I know Kamala is a little problematic. I don't know, how many people have a candidate that you know you would vote for if you had to vote for today? Anybody? Okay. Two out of 10. Two I know out of 10, I have that's my, it? I know I have my candidate. So let's talk about politics, right? Because the election is literally a year out. Um, and it's gonna be a big one. How many people are tied to Trump? How many people are willing to go to the polls to do something about it? 
All right, so we're going to talk about which candidate we should vote for. Who is going to represent us, women of color? What but about me? Said... <laughs> what no. about you, Stanley? Yeah, you're right. Um, with that being said, I'm like, can we go on a quick break? I'm like, I'm in radio mode, guys. So we do yeah. this show every Sunday morning. And I'm like, Stanley, can we go on a break now? I can, put, I can give us a song if you can want. We put on a, can we drop a song real quick? You want to hear a song? What y'all want to hear? Pick a song. Somebody pick a song. Oh, I, yes. I, I don't got Cardi. I don't got Cardi. All right, what else I got? <laughs> what else y'all want to hear? Nah, Mag, all right. Meg the Stallion. You want to hear some Meg the Stallion? I ain't got that neither. Wow. This is Envision Fest, Stanley. <laughs> I can envision you, Cardi. I just ain't got it here. Jay Z. I ain't got that neither. All right, all right. Let me. I'm, I got. I got. I got Migos though. Look, see. Migos. Yeah. Migos is here. Watch. Mmm, that's good, right? Nah, we're gonna, we're gonna come right back to a new song, don't worry. Ready? All right, cool, here we go. All right, guys, so we are back again. This is Let Your we Voice Be Heard. We didn't go anywhere. They were us the whole time. <laughs> Shout out to those who are listening via podcast on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. You can find Let Your Voice Be Heard anywhere that you get your podcast. So please check us out there. Shout out to our live in-studio audience. We see you guys. Woo! Live at Envision Fest. So before we went on that little song break from Stanley over here, DJ No Show, um, <laughs> <laughs> no songs. Um, okay, so the Democratic debate, right? So it was really intense. This was the third one that happened. And honestly, I'm getting a little concerned about Joe Biden. He is the leading front runner so far in the primary, meaning if the election was today, Biden would win and go against Trump. However, is it just me or is he having a number of senior moments? Meaning that he continues to stumble on his words, he continues to forget stuff, and at the Democratic debate, Julian Castro actually called him out and he was like, bro, you just forgot what you said two minutes ago. And he kept pushing and like, it was such an awkward moment, but the more I think about it, I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't feel comfortable with Joe Biden as of now, like Tiffany, what were some of your highlights from the Democratic debate? That was, that was a highlight for me, even though it was a bad one. What were some of your highlights? <laughs> Just uh, real quick to talk about um, the Joe Biden interaction. I know Julian Castro was getting a lot of blowback from that. I don't know if it was necessarily like ages or more so just words matter and you should remember what the things that you say, whether they're two minutes ago or years ago. Um, I think for me, a big highlight was, you know, I feel like Elizabeth Warren always does well. I really appreciate her politics. I really appreciate her being, you know, vocal about women issues, especially when it comes to like healthcare. So a big highlight for me was um, Elizabeth Warren's, um, I would say performance and also just Julian Castro. I feel like he kind of broke out of the molds and even though it was quote unquote a negative take, I feel like a lot of black and brown candidates always have to like quiet themselves, which we'll talk about more as in the show. But I think Julian Castro was also a, a standout too. Stanley, you were watching the debates and live tweeting. What do you yeah. think? I mean, these debates are not meant for you to understand who's really going to be good at the job or not. These debates are people for people to get their arguments off but not actually answer questions. With that being said, the person I'm here for is Elizabeth Warren, obviously, um, because she's Bernie Sanders with common sense in the plan. And the person I'm not here for is Joe Biden because he literally does not know how to speak in coherent <laughs> sentences anymore. And I'm, I'm trying to get that clip because like, I don't think people understand like, how ridiculous he sounded. It was wild. They said, you said this thing about school segregation. And he said, 
we need social workers to come to your house and put on a record player for your kids. That was his answer. So like, I really want to find that clip because that was a nasty answer and this guy might be our president and he's not much more coherent than Trump. Oh, but I got it right here. So let's give it a shot. Oh, that ain't gonna work. All right, we all got the clip. Keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, so as of now, I would say the third debate did not too much change my opinion on um, just like the Democratic primary. I'm still all for Bernie Sanders as of now. Definitely a fan of, Eliz of Elizabeth Warren. Kamala, too, and we're going to talk more about that. She is the only black woman in the race as of now, and we're going to delve into that a little more. But before we get there, speaking of black people, how many people think it's time for black athletes to leave white colleges? No one. Oh, you do. You do. Okay, so Jamel Hill, she wrote this article. It was a powerful piece. It's called Time for Black Athletes to Leave White Colleges. And what she's saying is, if you're a black athlete, why are you going to these white institutions, these PWIs, and making them so much money when we need that support and that money in our own communities? So, of course, Jamel, being a young, fly black woman, people started raising hell when she wrote this piece in The Atlantic, going off. Um, Tiff, your reaction. Um, it's not surprising. She's a really polarizing figure, when, especially when it comes to sports and activism. And the whole point that she was making is that a lot of these PWIs get large endowments, and because of their sports programs, they get a lot of money. And when it comes to these HBCUs, which is oftentimes they're like federally um, granted um, funds, and they have been struggling, like we've been seeing in the news that many of the HBCUs are struggling. And also many of the HBCUs have like, you know, shifted their demographic where the majority of the demographic are now white students, which is perfectly fine. So what she's trying to say that, you know that these athletes bring large amounts of money and support to these colleges. So, you know, why can't they go to a Lincoln? Why can't they go to a Howard to also bring that sort of investment um, to those colleges? And also, you know, HBCUs were, you know, started due to segregation and racism and just, you know, overall pressure in this society. And there was like a needed, there was a need for HBCUs. So why can't, you know, HBCUs be in the running when it comes to like sports? Because we know sports garner so much money for colleges. Why can't we be honest about it? You got all these black athletes going to these white schools, making these colleges billions of dollars. The colleges won't even guarantee you education if you don't make it through the league. They're not gonna invest in your communities. They're gonna get big checks to a whole bunch of racist white people. And when those white people do racist white people things, they're gonna be like, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And then when that player spirals out because maybe he or she can't get into the league or they injure themselves so they can't play anymore, they lose their scholarship. So if you're gonna go over there and make somebody millions and billions of money, why not do it for your own people? Most of these HBCUs are struggling with finances. They can't get through the day to day. Imagine if a Zion Williamson or even a Kobe Bryant when he was young enough to go to college played at a Morehouse College or a Howard University. Or a Brittany Griner, if instead of going to Baylor, she went to Spelman. Could you imagine how much money they will bring into those colleges? And those colleges are able to put all the things they do in those schools because of black labor. So if they're getting black labor and they're making money off of black labor, but they're not supporting black bodies, why would you keep supporting them? Go to an HBCU. So these arguments make sense, right? The pushback was, oh, we shouldn't be supporting segregation. You know, if, if we tell black athletes just stay in black schools, 
are we having a more divided society? That's the arguments I was hearing, Tiffany. So I, I can't remember the person's name, but he was on Laura yep, Laura Ingram show. show yep. And she tried to say, like, we're trying to like, do, like, resegregation as if, like, uh, PYI schools are, like, you know, extremely diverse. So that, that's, like, one thing. But also, we all know that, like, white people and other people of color are going to HBCUs, like... Just a uh, you know disclaimer like white people y'all can go to HBCUs like <laughs> and you already are going to these schools so it's no notion that you are having some sort of segregation or resegregation and it was just Laura Ingram you know purposefully missing the point as she normally does when it comes to these issues. Anybody here go to an HBCU, a historically black college university? I see you, sis. What school? Hampton, love it. Anybody else? We went Nobody to, else can afford We went schools. to a PWI, a predominantly white institution. We went to SUNY Old Westbury, Selena and I, which is really an HBCU if you dorm. So, you know, I guess it's kind of halfway. Well, speaking of dorming in colleges, do you guys think that people who cheat to get their children into colleges should go to jail? So, as we mentioned earlier today, Felicity Huffman, who is, you know, a white woman, she will be serving 14 days in federal prison for cheating to get her child in college. However, people are saying that sentence is way too harsh. She put out a letter saying, you know, I'm just, I, was, I had anxiety about being a good mom. I didn't want to be a bad mother. So, I mean, that, that's what they're saying. But I just want to point out, a few years ago, there was a black woman, I think in Connecticut, who was homeless. And she signed up her child for like a kindergarten that was outside of the district. So she faked her address. This woman spent five years behind bars. Felicity is only doing 14 days. Tiffany? She's going to do 14. She's probably going to get out in three for good behavior. So um, I really like struggle with this whole story because... I don't think the notion should be because this black mother spent five years in prison that Felicity Huffman should also spend five years in prison. No one should put, spend time in prison for, you know, wanting to get your child oh, a you're good not education. To be um, I, under, I understand the okay. petty. Okay. I sympathize with the petty. Okay, I recognize that the petty. But I feel like these stories should just highlight the disparities when it comes when it comes to like the criminal justice system, no one should go to you know jail for um, like I said, try to get your child into a good school. But the issue is because she has tons of money, that's why she was able to get a 14 you know day prison sentence and not you know spend five years in prison or also have to pay back a large amount of money like I think that mom that you mentioned in Connecticut. So that's what you see when it comes to being like one a white woman, one having privilege and one having access to like wealth. So, you know, it's just like a combination of things that it comes out and you ended up spending only 14 days in prison. Yeah. Stanley, where do you stand? I mean, to be petty or not to be petty? Nah, nah, I mean, yeah, ha half and half. We should be abolishing prisons, period, because prisons have been used to exploit black labor and reinstate slavery in this country, right? At the same time, this white lady is trash, and that happens all the time. Usually it happens with mediocre white men who want to get into these Ivory League colleges and get in there because their parent went there. John F. Kennedy applied to Harvard, in his admission letter, he said, I want to go to Harvard because my dad did, period. And then his dad stapled a letter saying, put my son into Harvard. That's how he got in there. You got black and brown bodies being thrown in jails and prisons all the time. The highest, gr the group with the highest rate of imprisonment in the country right now are black women. black women. 
So you can't tell me this is just because, like, you know, we really shouldn't be throwing people in jails and prisons because Felicity Huffman, even if she didn't have the money, she's got the white. So they probably would have held her anyway because that's just the way that privilege works in our criminal justice system. We got to be honest about that. There was a woman who killed her baby and buried the baby yep. and said, I fixed my stomach issue. She got no jail time. We got to look at the way that the criminal justice system is unfairly prosecuting black and brown bodies and not holding other people accountable in the same way. So it's not really about felicity. It's about the racist, patriarchal, capitalistic society that we live in and what we're going to do about it. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Stanley says. And it's true. The fastest growing population in prisons are black women. And that's really troubling. So when you do have a story like Felicity Huffman, it's hard to see the nuance in it and you just want to immediately be petty and be like, no, lock her up, throw away the key and all of that. But again, we do have to, you know, abolish prison or have like real significant reforms when it comes to prisons and how we like, you know, penalize people over crimes, especially crimes that don't result in any sort of harm to another person and things like that. Well, and that's the argument that Felicity Huffman's lawyers were making. They were saying this was a victimless crime, like no one was really hurt. However, her child took up a seat that someone else deserved. So, you know, that, that is some, you know, that's your life right there. So uh, that being said, I want to talk more about black women in prison because there was this Texas mother who was sentenced to five years in prison for, quote, unquote, voting illegally in 2016. So she had did some time. But she was released, and she was on supervised release after serving time for tax fraud. And she filled out a provisional ballot and got five in a sentence of five years, literally for voting in 2016. Tiffany, you were the person who brought this story to my attention. Let's talk about just the discrepancies here and, you know, why are we locking up black women for voting? Like, I'm trying to get y'all to vote in 2020. Like, <laughs> this is discouraging. Right. So obviously it really highlights voter suppression, right? So that story is really interesting because she was out on supervised provision. So when she filed the ballot, which is a provisional ballot, and provisional ballots can be filed because you're not sure you're voted, you may not be voting in the right county, but it's provisional so they can figure that all out. So once they figured out that she couldn't vote, they said, okay, like, all right, this vote is not going to count. But because the DA like dug into the story even more, she ultimately violated her parole. So that's why she had to go back into prison and like the family, like the home went into foreclosure and she had a young daughter that's like taking up all of the family matters. And it goes to like this narrative that Republicans tried to put out there that black and brown people are coming into our country and trying to vote illegally and then you know, what white society they think is gonna be is no longer to, gonna exist. So I think ultimately they're trying to make an example out of her. It's a form of voter intimidation, voter suppression. And the only witness that they had in the case was one person that said that she looked like she was reading over the document, like, you know, the signed affidavit part. And how many times we have checked I agree to something and we know we didn't read it. Like, raise your hand if you've done that before. Everyone, even on the sides over there. <laughs> like, everyone has done that to an extent. So for that to be, like, their nail in the coffin, it's, like, it's bogus, and we know it's bogus. Texas and other countries across the, across the South have been trying to black, block black and brown people from voting everywhere. So when we've shown 
that they're trying to actively block black and brown people from voting, their response has been, people are committing voter fraud. Well, we know that voter fraud happens less than 0.06% of the time across the entire country. So instead of making it easier for people to vote, they've implemented these rules that penalize anybody that messes up. Over the last 15 years, there have been six people who have committed voter fraud. They've all been white. They've all been Republicans. This woman was their chance to be like, see, the Nick, um, the other people do it too. And that's what's happening here. Because Texas is under a lot of scrutiny. They tried to close the, the polling sites in almost all the black neighborhoods. They are requiring IDs to go vote, and they tried to close all the DMVs in the black and brown neighborhoods. And when the heat came on for that, this became the perfect Trojan horse to gaslight away from this. So if you really want to talk about making significant change that doesn't just improve your day-to-day -day life, but also improves the day-to-day -day life of all black and brown people in an effort for black liberation, you've really got to be looking at the way that they're criminalizing people and destroying their past, present, and futures because the repercussions of incarceration go much further than just one person. Now that child is going to be significantly damaged. Are they getting therapy? Do they have the funding to keep that person in a good school? What happens when that woman gets out? Do you know how many jobs and trainings you're blocked out of because you're formerly incarcerated? So now you're setting her up to be in a minimum wage job for the rest of her life if she's lucky, can't get housing, child probably has abandonment issues now, and then they're going to blame it on her. This is pretty much a system working perfectly in Texas. Um, you know, that being said, before we wrap up the news roundup and move into our main segment, which again is about women in politics, us walking in power, another story I definitely want to bring up is the story about the Bahamas refugees who were denied access to the states. I know we are all keeping Bahamas in our thoughts, those people, the victims, in our thoughts and our prayers, except for maybe Donald Trump, who literally said, you know, we got to keep out the bad people in gangs. Like, literally, so he was talking about, he was questioned about why I think like a hundred or a couple dozen uh, Bahamas refugees were denied entry into the states. Quote, unquote, they didn't have all their documentation or their passports. And his administration was saying, oh, no, we, we, we want to let people in because they're trying to ex escape devastation. However, he was like, we got to be careful. We don't want to let the bad people in because some of the people in Bahamas are in gangs and stuff. And I'm just like, Really? I mean, Tiffany, maybe you weren't surprised, but I was just like, he always hits a new low. I mean. Yeah, the bar is in hell, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, was I surprised? No, because we've seen this time and time again. Um, I just thought the video, when you saw them actively pulling them off the ferry, was really just like saddening because I think normally they're allowed to travel with like a police record and like their birth certificate or some sort of identification. And that has been happening for some time. I also did read that someone was trying to insinuate that like how they were interpreting the law could have been, you know, wrong. So that's why now this is the, this is the moment when people are in extreme distress that that's when we want to start interpreting the law appropriately. So I'm not surprised, he, you know, pretty much it's like, you know, what he does, he's not gonna let you Negroes <laughs> come into our country, you know, because you're from gangs and yada yada. But I think it was Morgan State or one of the HBCUs that paid for the tuition of some of the refugees that were going to college um, out in the Bahamas, which is an HBCU, so there you go. Even more reason why you need to support HBCUs. <laughs> This is not surprising at all. Did you guys know that the highest group of deportations are black groups? You come from a black or majority black country, you're probably getting deported. 
So it hasn't been actually been Mexicans or people from South America who are getting deported the most. It's actually been Jamaica and Haiti and Dominican Republic and Nigeria and Ghana and Uganda people. Like those are the folks who are getting deported at the highest clips. This is pretty consistent with what the administration has been doing. But it's once again the reason why you have to be radically informed and you have to understand that this is not about protecting anybody. This is not about gang culture. This is about a consorted attack against black and brown people. So, yeah, and shout out to, um, was it Morehouse that did that? I think it was Morgan State. Oh, Morgan State, the, yeah. One semester is Gucci. Yeah. I just want to also just add to what Stanley was saying, just about when we think about immigration, there's a particular face that may pop into our minds, and sometimes I think even as, like, black folks or people who identify black, like, we also need to understand that this immigration issue is something that we need to mobilize about, whether you have citizenship or not that we are all being attacked on all fronts. And I know sometimes that could be like a, a issue that some could be like sometimes like divisive or just like, well, I have my, you know, citizenship, so I'm good, good luck. But it's like, no, like they look like you, we come from, you know, the same diaspora. So we need to be more conscious of when we talk about immigration. They're deporting people who are citizens. They, no, seriously. Yes, no, they are. They, they deported are. a guy who was born in America. His family's from Iraq. They deported him back to Iraq. He died in the streets. They're deporting people who were born here, but their families are from Jamaica. They don't actually care. We need to, like, we really need to understand the stakes of this. And I feel like as people of color, we're just kind of used to everybody not liking us anyway, so you kind of become numb to it. But this is different. Mm -hmm. This is very, very different. And we need to be hyper-vigilant about that. Absolutely. And on that note, I know we're going to take another song break, and we're going to switch up the tone because we see the issues, right? And we know what's going on, but it's time for us to take action, to walk in that power, to walk in our purpose, and to get involved politically. All right. For real, for real this time. All right, guys. Thank you again for tuning in and checking out Let Your Voice Be Heard. If you are listening and you're here at Envision Fest, shout out to Woo. you guys. If you're listening via podcast, thank you so much. And please share, tweet this link out. So again, my name is Selena Hill. Got Tiffany Brown, Stanley yes, Fritz. Um, and we want to talk about what needs to be done so that we can take our place in politics and power. We have a raging idiot in the White House. Um, but you know what? Even though we have him there, a lot of women, especially women of color, have been getting elected on local levels, state levels, in November 2018, actually. A whole sweep of us just came into Congress, right? That's how we got the squad. My girl AOC, Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a number of people, Ilhan Omar, um, but they're being attacked, and they're being attacked a lot. I think it's because they're women of color. So um, before we get into that, I do want to just recap Kamala's performance during the debate. You mentioned that earlier, Tiff, because I know a lot of us feel, well, some of us feel connected to her because, you know, she can identify with us. But others who know her record say not so much. Tiffany? Um, I think Kamala, Kamala, excuse me, uh, performance at the debate was pretty measured to an extent. I think she was really reserved in how she responded to questions because I think she's pretty conscious of how she is perceived and how she often comes off. Um, I, there was this discussion on Twitter that you know, sometimes she may have seemed that she's like measured or like too fiery and things of that nature. 
So I think her performance is kind of like solid. I don't know if she was like really a standout because I think oftentimes women of color in politics, they don't want to be too aggressive. They don't want to be too this. Um, there was an interesting exchange with the activist. I think her name is Brittany Packnett and um, Megan McCain, where Megan was like, oh my God, Kamala seems so rehearsed. And it's just like, so do you want someone that's prepared or not? So it's like, here you have a black woman who's over, probably overly prepared, and the thought that like you just want a president that's just kind of like spitballing, which, which is what we currently have. So I thought her performance was measured, not to stand out, but I think we're gonna get into more depth about like you know why people don't like her. Raise your hand if you thought Kamala did well. Raise your hand. Did Kamala do well at the debate? I see one, I see two, I see three, four, five. Raise your hand if you thought Bernie is killing it. I see one. He's just loud. I see two. Damn. Is there anybody that anyone likes that's running for president right now? Just throw out a name. Warren. Who? Bernie? I hear Bernie. Yeah. Go ahead, Selena. Well, well. <laughs> How kind of short pro was that? <laughs> anyway, so Staley, thank you for surveying the crowd. How's your opinion about Kamala's candidacy changed at all? Again, she is the only black woman currently in the Democratic primary race. She's the only black woman candidate there. She's probably one of the better candidates, too. But yes. I cannot stand her criminal justice platform. And I hate the fact that she had not only fought to arrest parents whose kids were truant, but also when it was a proposition that wanted to get people out of California jails early because of overcrowding. Only people with nonviolent crimes, she petitioned against it and said, because if we did that, we would be getting rid of all of the free labor in the jails. So... Stuff like that from Kamala, I really don't like. If I got to choose between her and Trump, I'm picking Kamala, but I'll pick an empty bottle of Hennessy with a little bit of apple juice in it, and I'm allergic to apples before I pick Trump anyway. <laughs> so you'd rather uh, end up in the hospital? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm with you on that. I mean, I feel like Kamala, like, to me, she's a very strong candidate. Um, maybe not my favorite, but I would love to see her go head-to-head -head with Trump because she is a prosecutor, so she will lawyer the mess out of that man. Like, he's not going to dance circles around Kamala. She'll be like, oh, no, boo-boo, and she will definitely put him in his place. So that's what I would say. And at this point, anybody is much better than Trump. And, you know, Stanley's just spoke about her track, her track record, which is a little problematic. No candidate in this race has a perfect track record. You can dig up dirt on everybody. Even Elizabeth Warren, who happens to be these two favorites, you know, they were called, they, she was claiming to be Native American, to use some advantages. That's why Trump calls her Pocahontas. So I'm just trying Which to say- Which is offensive. He shouldn't call he it. He should stop. <laughs> he should stop She was in America for like 15 minutes though. Like she to apologized get, for that. She did apologize. She did a DNA test, Stanley. Stop it. Yeah, she did. She stop it. on it. She did Sister the DNA test. That's right. what she messed up. Uh, but like, you can't trust Ancestry. My friend is Ancestry. And <laughs> no, seriously, that, don't do when, that. When that DNA came back in, it was just like, they had just circled the globe and like, you were from here. Like, you can't trust that. <laughs> but um, the fact that she did it though, I think that's the issue. <laughs> like, yeah. she shouldn't have done it. Yeah, Bad tried. PR yeah. move. We can agree there. So I mean, <laughs> hey, well, I do want to switch gears a little bit because given the history of women in politics, um, we all know Shirley Chisholm was the one, the trailblazer, who really edged that path for Kamala and other women of color who happened to be in politics. Do you think America is finally ready to elect a black woman for president? And if not president, just get more of us in the Congress. Oh, oh me. <laughs> um, Go for it, Sam. No, but they weren't ready for a black guy either, and they showed that to us. But who cares? 
You don't ask for permission. You take power. That's what, that's, what, that's what Obama did. He ran a successful campaign, and he took power. So whether white America is ready or not, we got to just start taking stuff. That's what Trump did. That's why we're here now. So if she's a nominee, I'm going with her all the way, and I'll cuss out anybody who tries to slander her. Um, I think there's a, um, there's a booth over there that says the future been female, and I really like that because I feel like black women have always been empowered to some extent, whether they want to give us the credit or not. I just think... Of course I want to see a black woman president, but I'm just really concerned about all of the pushback. She's gonna be called all sorts of monkeys and N-words, and I just like, oh my God, I feel like no one should have to deal with that. We saw what happened with the first lady, you know, Michelle Obama. So it's not a matter of whether they're ready or not. Like studies will show when you have more um, diverse uh, people in the, elect the electoral like, field, whether it's uh, a black woman or a Native American person or you know someone who identifies as like Muslim, like their um, their beliefs tends to be a little bit more left leaning or more progressive just in nature. Maybe not as left as we are currently, but they do tend to include more people than just themselves. So I think by having a black woman or a woman of color in the office, you know, you will see the overall improvement of society. And this is not to say that all you know people of color or black women are like as progressive because we do have some, you know, off the wall folks out there, which, you know, they drink from a different cup. But, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, the way I feel, I do not think this country is ready for a black woman president. I don't even know if the country deserves one. I mean, like you said, the slander. I mean, Michelle Obama, she is our forever floatist and so elegant, so graceful, so brilliant. And they found ways to slander her. I mean, it's it's like I'm not saying I've given up, but I don't know if I want to put sis through that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Put Bernie up in there, his crazy self. <laughs> like, I think he'll die. Like, I don't think. No, no okay, y'all. People need to stop saying he's Bernie's like, about to pass. He's 70, 12 years old. That's supposed to be doing. That's bad energy. He's, he's a little older than Trump. He's yeah, fine. And Trump's about to die too. Have you seen him? Yes. They have the best doctors and everything. Listen, they're pumping him up with everything. Yeah, he's not going like, anywhere. Like, I know I'm slim thick, but Bernie, like, Trump is, he's not looking good. He got to lay off the McDonald's. No, he does. But seriously, I mean, we can't, it doesn't matter if you're ready. Yeah. You know, like, you, the revolution doesn't wait for you to be ready. The revolution rev revolutionizes, and you got to step up, and we got to fight back. Um, but so, but Stanley, with that being said, we see what's happening to the squad, the four women of color in Congress who are extremely vocal, who lean very left, who represent my opinion uh, and my ideas, look what they're going through. Yeah, so we got to have their backs. And not just AOC and Ilham Omar, who get a lot of the press, but also mm -hmm. Ayanna Presley from yep. Boston, yep. who took the seat of a very popular congressperson who also happens to be Chris Evans, a.k.a. Captain America's uncle. So that's a woman that's going to be coming after. We got to make sure we have their backs. But that's the problem. People run for office, especially people of color, and they get in office and we're hype and we don't show up for them. As someone who works in politics, I can't tell you how often I see black women in the state senate and the state assembly who are struggling to fundraise mm -hmm. so they can stay in office and keep fighting. Diana Richardson is somebody who I think about. She's an assembly member in Brooklyn for East Flatbush. When we had that blackout, she was showing up yep. to the building, bringing food and water to everybody, yep. making sure they were good. How much money does she have in the campaign coffers right now? Not a lot. She got an election coming up in, in April. Where are we? Pardon me, in June, where are we? We got to show up for them. So we got to show up for the squad, but we also got to show up for the women who are building their power at the state and local level. So Diana Richardson, who's running for office, Lori Combo, even though I don't always agree with her politics, and the city council, Latrice Walker, and the assembly, we got to be showing up all the time. 
definitely echo what um, Stanley is saying about showing up for a woman of color. And Diana Richardson is a really good person to use as an example because she's so active in Brooklyn. Like, she is everywhere, and she really does give it up for her community. But like Stanley said, oftentimes these women are not going to be on TV. You know, they fly under the radar. And, you know, contrary to, contrary to popular belief, like, all politics is, like, really, really local. So, you know, your city council member, your state senator, and your state assembly member has, like, a lot of impact on your everyday as you move through society, even more so than, you know, your, your congressperson or the president. So we need to be really, like, looking out for those candidates. I got a comment. I started a watch party because they like my gunshot sound effects over here. And Mariah T. Lopez said to me, I'm piecing out of the shop because y'all support Kamala, and Kamala's a cop. Does anybody else in here think Kamala's a cop? I mean, she is a cop. But anybody else in here think she's a cop? And just to give some context, because when she was the first black woman to be a prosecutor in California, she was AKA the top cop. And some of the policies that she enforced and implemented weren't as conducive to our communities. Um, and, and I know we can talk more about that, Stanley. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, she, you want to go to? I'll, go, I'll, I'll start it off. So I feel like, you know, when people just say, like, she's a cop, she's a senator, I just kind of feel like, it's like it's such a, a micro way of like looking at an issue. I think oftentimes we have to like just like look at you know the context of the law, look at the times that was happening, especially like the 80s and 90s and things like that, and early 2000s when like you know black and brown communities were under extreme distress due to like you know cracking this down and their third. So I feel like we we kind of like built up this way of dealing with like um, I would say like social service like issues with jail right that's the way that, that that's the model that America has set up the way you deal with people suffering especially black and brown people you just put them in prisons so I'm not surprised that you know oftentimes even people that look like us talk like us come from the same communities kind of replicate that same sort of idea. Yes, we do have to hold her accountable because if you feel like there's an issue when it's coming to truancy or if there's an issue What's with... What's truancy? Truancy is when pretty much um, their children were either not showing up to school or just showing up late. And from my understanding, that was a large, you know, a issue happening in California and they were trying to connect that with like human trafficking so, like, and things like that. So they were locking up the parents if their children weren't yeah, so it going was, to school. Yeah, so uh, parents were being threatened with um, prison. From my understanding, no parents were actually locked up. And she references one story of how this woman was actively having issues and she was able to provide services. So I think oftentimes, instead of like, you know, taking that route, like, okay, if we see there's an issue here in the community, rather than saying, like, I'm going to lock you up, I guess as to, like, you know, a shock value or, you know, to be provocative to, like, quote, unquote, wake up parents, because it's this notion that black and brown parents don't care about education, which you all know is not true, you know, that's the, the method that she went. So, yes, she should be called out about that, but I think a lot of you know, black and brown communities have like real, you know, I would say precarious situation when it comes to the law and how we approach the law and accountability and things like that. Yeah, no, and now, just real quick, Snelly, and I mean, I, I would agree that we do need to just hold her accountable for her track record, but it was a different time. I think if Barack Obama ran in 2019, he would be too conservative or moderate for us, right? So it was over a decade ago when people got away with saying things like, oh, super predator, or, you know, we got to lock them up. That's the way to fight crime. You got to pull up your pants. That's the way to stop, to stop getting uh, pulled over by police. Like, that was the mentality back then. And I think she succumbed to that to a large degree. And I also think she did her job, and she did her job good. Like, her job was to lock people up. 
the job of district attorneys across this country is to lock up black and brown people. She did a really good job at that. Congratulations. Listen, like, I don't dislike Kamala, but, like, let's be very honest about her record and what she did. There were things that you got to do because it's your job, and then there are things she did, like prosecute a woman with mental health issues that the San Francisco police shot. Why? Why did you have to do that when the police shot her? Especially when we know the police are historically known to be shooting black and brown people for no reason. Why did she have to do that? Why did when a man was found not guilty after spending 25 years in prison for murder, she tried to petition to stop him from being released from the prison? Why did she have to do that? What part of the job was that? What part of the job was it when she was fundraising